Well, good morning again. Um, I'm excited this morning that we have a special speaker, which sounds a little strange for those of you who know Delnora Williams, who was a member here for two years, but she is back and she came uh, this weekend to do what we call a discipleship weekend. She's been teaching on the parables and many of you got to benefit from that Friday and Saturday night, but she's coming again. Come on, Delnora. Delnora uh, teaches uh, adjunct for Regent right now, Regent University, and um, she is, let me just say this, there are a lot of people who have studied and who can teach and who know the scriptures pretty well. What matters the most is that Delnora loves the scriptures. It matters to us and it should matter to us that those who, uh, who teach the scriptures love them and depend on them, and that is absolutely true of Delnora, who is also the mother of five, and uh, she was a uh, do you call it a, an army brat? Is that right? You were? Okay. So she, she's from everywhere. She's from everywhere, and I wouldn't say nowhere. I think you're from Greenville, although you've moved to Chattanooga, and we, we've accepted that, but we're not happy with it. But we're so thankful that you're here today, Delnora. She's going to be using this one, by the way. I'm going to point it right at you. And um, so thanks for being here. Can you guys welcome Delnora? Come on, please. Well, good morning. Can you hear me? Is yes, this? perfect. Okay. And yep. someone will wave their arms if I get too far away, right? Um, I am delighted to be here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, beautiful Son of God, have mercy on us, your beloved. Teach us by your Holy Spirit and send us out to serve you and love well. Amen. Well, I'm the third of four children. And this past spring, my dad broke his hip. And when the time came to leave the hospital, it was clear that he would not be going back to his apartment. He needed full-time care now. And that's, for him, best done in a nursing home. This meant that once my siblings and I moved what we could of his belongings into his new room, we still had most of an apartment's worth of things to divide up or store. Paintings and other art, nice quality furniture, books, and should my dad need any of it, we'd, we'd bring it to him. I honestly didn't think I'd care what happened with his things until I was actually in his apartment watching my siblings select for themselves from those beautiful things. Now, don't get me wrong, the whole process was amicable. Nothing of my dad's was worth jeopardizing our relationship. And I'm not telling you about the event so much as my heart in the event. Because covetousness is not about what you have, but what you want. A few years ago, while studying the seven deadly sins, I learned the difference between covetousness, envy, and jealousy. And yes, I'm going to subject you to what I learned. Um, and I apologize to my friends who've already had to hear this probably more than once. Anyway, it turns out that covetousness, envy, and jealousy historically are not synonymous. Rebecca DeYoung, in her book, Glittering Vices, notes that covetousness is focused on possessions. The covetous person wants what someone else has, wants the property for itself, like Ahab with Naboth's vineyard. Envy, on the other hand, is more concerned with status and honor. The envious person wants to ruin you, to be better than you. It's a self-worth comparison issue, and it's always malicious. 
Jealousy, on the other hand, is, and I quote, the condition of loving something and possessing it, and then feeling threatened because the loved thing or person might be taken away. God can rightfully be jealous of his people when they worship idols, because the people and their love rightfully belong to him. An idol takes from God what properly belongs to God. So, just for fun, the covetous person just wants the stuff, the things belonging to another. The envious person seeks to ruin someone in order to elevate themselves. And the jealous want to protect and hold on to what is rightfully theirs. It's no surprise that we're commanded not to covet, because God is our provider. Envy is never good because it seeks to destroy people. And God can be jealous when we give our allegiance to anyone else because our allegiance properly belongs to him in the first place. Wasn't that fun? Okay, I like details like that. So um, let's begin. I'm going to be in Matthew 19 and 20, mostly in Matthew 20. And I'm going to, I'm going to reread, um, anyway, a little bit of this. One day... A rich man came to Jesus and asked what good thing he needed to do to have eternal life. After some conversation, Jesus tells him to sell everything he has and follow him. Apparently, this was not the good thing the rich man had in mind. And so, grieving, he went away. He could not part with his possessions. Then, as now, wealth was often linked to influence, power, being blessed by God. So if someone is clearly blessed by God, if someone who's clearly blessed by God finds it difficult to enter the kingdom of God, where does that leave the disciples who abandon their fishing boats or their tax collecting booth or their trade to follow an itinerant rabbi around Galilee? They don't have anything anymore. Okay, well, Peter probably still has his boat. But so what's in it for them? Well, Jesus reassures them in Matthew 19.30 that there will be rewards and even eternal life for following him. And he says, many first will be last, and the last will be first. At this point, everyone who's given up everything, property, family, jobs, for Jesus should cheer. And if that's not good enough, if that's not clear enough, Jesus repeats himself in Matthew 20, 16. So the last shall be first, and the first last. And if you're one of the have-nots of this world, this works for you. We love a good turnaround. The rags to riches, the victory of the underdog story. But in between these statements of reversal in Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells his disciples a cautionary tale about the kingdom of heaven. And if, like me, you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, then this one's for you and for me. And if you're not a Christian, I think you might be interested as well. So, Matthew 20. Matthew 20, verses 1 and 2. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning. We're talking probably around 6 a.m., to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. Clearly, it's harvest time. And if you've worked on a farm, you know that when the harvest is ready, you do whatever it takes to get your crops harvested. 
in this case, whatever it takes to get your grapes picked. The days are long, the sun is hot, and by the end of the day, you're exhausted. Now, a denarius for a day's work was the going wage for hired help. It was subsistence pay given to people who were not connected with a particular household or farm. There's nothing in the story to suggest this was an unjust wage. It's just the going rate. Still, these workers are living hand to mouth. And if they want to eat, they have to work. And if they want to work, they get themselves to the marketplace, hoping that someone will hire them for the day. So back to our story. The grapes are ready now. So the landowner goes to the marketplace early in the day, settles with some workers about a fair wage, and sends them out into the vineyard. And here the story gets interesting. Verses 3 to 7. And he went out again about nine in the morning and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you go into the vineyard also. Whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again he went out about noon and three o'clock in the afternoon and did the same thing. And about five o'clock he went out and found others standing around and he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said, because no one hired us. The landowner said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So let's pause here to notice a few things. First, the landowner goes to the marketplace five times to get laborers. And the last time isn't much before sundown. Remember, there's no electricity in the first century, no artificial lights. When it gets dark, harvesting stops. Now, five trips to the marketplace to hire workers is a little excessive, especially considering that those five o'clock hires. But the point here isn't actually the harvest per se. It's the differing hours each group worked, possibly 12 hours for the first group and as little as only one hour for that last group. Second, only those hired first negotiated for a specific wage. In fact, only the first group is said to be hired. Everyone else took the landowner at his word to give them whatever was right. But what was right was not specified. Let's continue. And as I read, notice what people think. You know, just because Descartes proved his existence because he thinks, there's no guarantee that what we think conforms in any way with reality. But we're given what those workers think. Also listen for the word friend. In this parable, the word friend is not from the Greek word philos, which finds its root in love. As in John 15, 15, when Jesus says to his disciples, I've called you friends, philos. Now that's something to treasure, being loved as a friend. But in this passage, the English word friend in verse 13 is a translation of a different Greek word. It's the word hetaira, which comes from hetairos, not philos, and hetairos is a selfish acquaintance who seeks his own interests above the interests of others. It's a friend that's in it for the money, okay? It's not really a compliment. It, people didn't mind using it in business negotiations, but someone you care about, that's not how you're gonna refer to them. For example, when Judas betrays Jesus in the garden, Jesus says to Judas, hetaire, friend, 
why have you come? Back to Matthew 20, picking up at verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. Let's pause for a minute again. I keep saying that, don't I? I have this thing for pausing. So just bear with me. I didn't realize I was saying it about 20 times. You know why they have to pay laborers each day at sunset? Poverty and subsistence living had been around a long time. So long, in fact, that the Torah addresses it. In Leviticus 19.13, it says, The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. And in Deuteronomy 24... 14 to 15, it says, do not, take advantage of a, do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they're poor and they're counting on it. You shall give him his wages on his day. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they're poor and they're counting on it. Why? Because unlike those who have more resources, that hired man might just need that wage to eat that day. His life may literally be hand to mouth. Matthew 20. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last. The last. You know, those guys who for some reason didn't get hired the first or second or third or fourth time around. Workers who may have been landless or homeless or just poor. Pay them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. When those hired about five o'clock in the afternoon came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden in the scorching heat of the day? Really? But the landowner answered and said to them, friend, remember this is Hetairos, not Philos. Buddy, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for Denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye evil because I'm good? Or is my generosity a problem for you, basically? Ouch. Proverbs 28:22 says, A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth, does not know that want will come upon him. Because that evil eye in scripture is indicative of greed. Please note there's nothing wrong with being rewarded for your work. Rewards are good. The problem here is not in desiring a reward for work. It's the lack of mercy. It's the absence of charity towards others that's the problem. Going back to the parable, note that nothing is said about the quality of anyone's work or everyone being equal. Nothing. Because this is not a parable about fair wages. The concern of the parable is justice, not fairness. Fairness makes everyone equal, and it works well in board games. In real life, we're called to be just, to do what is right. 
to be charitable. Klein Snodgrass, a professor of New Testament studies, writes that fairness is the enemy of justice. I like that. Fairness is the enemy of justice. So look again at what the landowner says to those hired later. You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And he did pay them what was right. No one was cheated. Remember, the workers who were hired first complain, not because the owner was unjust. He was entirely just. They complained because he paid everyone the same amount, and that's just not fair. In their thinking, what was right, what was actually probably just in their eyes, was that which gives no one else, not even the poor, an advantage. It was being defined from a self-centered perspective. No, they didn't all work the same number of hours. It wasn't fair. But it was good, and it was truly just. Of course, we're still left wondering why the landowner didn't simply pay those hired at 6 in the morning first so they could go their merry way. They may never have known that everyone was paid the same. And, you know, they were the only ones actually hired. Everyone else went into the vineyard because the owner told them to go into his vineyard, and he promised to do right by them. But the first set, the we work long hours and the hot sun set, they had a contract. The rest just had the promise of the owner to do right by them. And when those with the contract saw that the owner had the nerve to pay everyone the same, they grumbled. So he responds, friend, Hitairos, self-serving, record-keeping, what's-in-it-for-me pal of mine, I'm not wronging you. I paid you the wages in our contract. Take your money and go home. Does it make you covetous and greedy to see my generosity to someone else? Keeping accounts isn't really working for you, is it? I suspect that this is why the workers in the parable were paid in reverse order from when they went into the vineyard. The master's act of unfair justice revealed hearts. Money has a funny way of doing that. But if we insist on bookkeeping in the kingdom of heaven, those hired last, the losers, the latecomers, the struggling small farmer who worked his own land in the morning, they end up first. At the end of the day, no one coming in from the field receives more than anyone else. No one. And those hired first, the early birds, the smart ones, the scorekeepers, come with their contracts and they get their piece of the pie. And in this is the fallacy that somehow there's a limit to the grace, to the charity, to the resources of God, that is like a finite pie. And if you don't get your peace, then you're going to be shortchanged. The truth is, we are not impoverished by God's grace extended to someone else. We do not lose when someone else wins, except in monopoly risk and spades. And I don't know about you, but I play to win. But we're not talking about board games. We're talking about life, life in the kingdom of heaven. Stanley Hauervoss, who was a professor at Duke Divinity School, said it's not the impartiality that characterizes God's grace in this parable, but rather the sheer abundance of God's grace. Let that sink in. The sheer abundance 
of God's grace. We don't have to keep score because not only one person wins. Serving God is not a competition. Others will come after us, do come after us, who will be rewarded exactly as we are. We are not the ones who live with a mindset of lack because God always meets our needs. And those reversals, the first being last, the last being first, that's good news because at this moment, we are the last hired. There's a whole cloud of witnesses ahead of us who worked all day in the hot sun. And there are many who will follow us. So let's stop negotiating for our wage, forget how things ought to work and what we deserve in the kingdom of God. We're not just hired help. We're called into this field. And when the master says he'll do right by us, he will. So let's gather those grapes and enjoy the wine together.